Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here today. Uh, we've lost control of the crowd. <laughs> They're had, they've started the Christmas party. Well, welcome to our welcome to our Christmas service. I think there's a Christmas verse coming up here later on. We'll take a look at it. Uh, we are in Jude, finishing the book of Jude, uh, Jude tw uh, verse 24 and 25. It is the doxology. Uh, I'll read through it here in the NIV. In fact, I'll read the last few verses. Uh, let me get, begin in verse 17, and we're going to be looking at verse 24 and 25 today. Jude verse 17, after talking about all the, the warnings of the heresies and, and what they sound like and the judgments that's coming to them and that they even forewarned they were coming, Jude writes, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Now in my study, in my preparation for what we're going to be doing on Monday nights as far as uh, false teachings and heresies of the first century, second century, it's going to get uh, a lot longer than I thought, of course. Uh, but I, 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 earlier when I would read, earlier when I would read this, it would say, "These men are those who divide you," and I could never understand what what divide you meant. Like, uh, you know, they're putting you know the upper class over here or the lower class over here. They're dividing you up into sections or something. That what what I've been reading in uh, the uh, early church fathers and uh, talking about the heresies is that stems in that phrase men who divide you stems into uh, verse 3. If you go back, dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And this is the faith that was once, again, I know that we're repeating it, but I'm, I'm adding something to it. The faith, this is a unity. This is the, the information that was provided that, that we would all continue to agree with, that this is what the apostles taught. And there's these basic points of doctrine. Now, those teachers that come in and divide you, they'll say, ah, you see this part right here? It really means this over here. And then they start explaining in more detail. Uh, for example, again, it just throws something, like the atonement. Jesus was our atonement. Jesus shed his blood for and paid for the sins of the world. Okay, now just throwing this out, I'm not going anywhere with it, but the atonement, Jesus was making an atonement to God. Well, no, he was making an atonement to Satan. He was making an atonement uh, in, in a way that he was replacing man or he was coming. It's like you've got all these, what is the atonement? If we'd go around and ask you to explain, uh, you know, uh, pick a pick a topic of theology and would you explain it oh, thank you would you explain it would you oh i see a contradiction would you and we go around and everybody explains this now we all agree jesus died on the cross for our sins why did that work well because man owed god something and so you know and so now you start getting these now these what the word i'm way ahead i'm on monday night teaching already but it's, it's from this book because that's what I've been studying. The word heresy comes out of the New, it's using the New Testament, but it, the word means choice. You're going to choose. 
Uh, it's, it's a normal word. It's not a bad word. It, it's, it, it means choose. And then this became uh, the word that was used for sex. Not sex, but sex, like groups. Like you'd have the Sadducees, or the sect of the Pharisees, or the Essenes. And then there's going to be one that branches off, and then you've got the Christian sect. So you could choose, you're a Jew, I'm going to choose to be a Sadducee, or I'll choose to be a Pharisee, or eventually I, I, I'm going to choose to be a Christian. So these became sects or heresies, choices. Well, now you've got the faith, you see. Uh, we're not interested in the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Essenes. We are Christians. And now someone comes into your church, and they present you with a new choice. That Jesus was eternally God. Well, no, he, he's a man. I mean, he died like a man. And God raised the man, Jesus, uh, from the grave. Okay, so Jesus was, where did he come from? Well, he was born as a man. And, and then, at the, see, the, it all makes sense. At, the, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down on him. And he was chosen of all the men. We'll choose this one. He'll be the Messiah. And so Jesus is like, oh, I'm the Messiah. Oh, and so then he goes and dies for the sins of the world, whatever that means. And it's like, so Jesus was the man chosen. By God, and on the cross, the Spirit left him. And so it's like, oh, so God chose the man Jesus. Well, then John corrects that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among it. I've touched him. I've sat by him. He, God, is one of us. And so it's like, well, now you're making a choice. Was God, Jesus a man? Was he anointed by God? Did the Spirit leave him? Did God adopt him and make him God? Like he wasn't God, but now he is God. And John says, no, no, no. He's eternally God. He was God. And now you get, well, well there's God the Father, and Jesus is talking to God the Father. And it's like, but so there's two different people talking here. Who's Jesus praying to? Well, Jesus is praying to God. Well, I thought you said Jesus was God in the beginning. Oh, I'm confused. Well, so now you're going to have the Trinity. And it's like, so you got three, you got, so you have three gods. You're like a little, you know, polytheist, like there's three different gods. It's like, no, 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 there's only one God. That's the whole Shema. That's, that's out of Hebrew. It's like, there's one God and he's, he's unified. Okay, you explain the Trinity. You explain the Trinity. And by the time we get around, it's like, oh, we've got all kinds of choices. And you take your group over here. You take your group over. And now we've got what we call, here's John. I'll, assume I'm, I'll, I'll pretend I'm John. And, and that's like, no, this is the truth. This is the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. And you gave everybody a choice. You gave everybody a choice. But there's, all, there's no choices. See, now again, you know, when we get out in to look at denominations, we've got to you know, make some choices, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But these choices become heresies, and they become false because you're changing the faith, if that makes sense. And it can be, I mean, if any of us wrote down our theology, we would all have to continue to make improvements as we come in line with this. But anyway, that's the faith. So anyway, long story short, we're reviewing to get ready for the new material. And I'm reading this verse 19. These heretics, these men, are those who divide you now i didn't understand what that meant 
uh, you know, like I said, I thought maybe divide. Well, they, they put all the rich people over here and, and all the popular people over here and the people with power. And it's like, and they take all the people they don't need and put them over here. It's like, no, they're dividing you. They're giving you choices. They're coming into your church services and they're Christians. They say they're Christians, but now they take a point of doctrine and give you a choice. You can believe this. Or let me explain to you a richer way of seeing this and they give you, oh, that's good. Well, now from that position, now you see, you've over here, now from that position, with that, if that is true, you'd all agree that's true. Well, yeah, I think it's true. Well, then, this is true. Oh, this is getting good. And pretty soon, you've got a whole group over here that's not even the faith, and Judah's saying, you've got to fight for this. When someone starts leading you, now, how do you know when is that, that's happening? I mean, that's a question. How do you know that I'm not doing that. And that's why I keep trying to come back to the Word and with my inspired NIV Bible, which, ah, oh, there's heresy right there for some people. I'm going to go to English Standard here in just a moment. Yeah, that's the thing. Right here, you can start dividing up heresies on which manuscripts you're using to make the Scripture. So, I mean, there's a lot of choices, a lot of choices to be made. Okay. These are those who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And we went through all that. Build yourself up in the faith. That's the truth. Pray in the Holy Spirit, praying from that position of the truth uh, uh, in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love. The point of God's love is on Christ, not in your good behavior or you over here at this group. It's, it's in Christ. You stay in Christ. They focus on the fact that you are in Christ and he's the one that's done the work. And all the confusing things in the world and all the mistakes you face, your hope is in the appearance of Jesus Christ. And you will, you will receive mercy. What's going to happen in the future? Jesus will return and give you mercy and welcome you into the kingdom. That, and that's, those are the things that you're hoping for. With that being said, Last week we talked about this, verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupt flesh. Right there, that's the, that's the rescue mission. Some people have gone over here and they started drifting off. You know, this is the way you approach them, you know, gracefully, mercifully, try and lead them back. Others, it's like they're so far gone, you've got to reach out to them, but be careful, you get too close to that, you're going to yourself get corrupted. And now here's today's verses as he's closing. I'll read it in the NIV, then we'll go to the notes. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Remember those four words, glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, and then amen. And each of those is important. And what we notice right there is this. is First of all, that is not a benediction. It's not a prayer. Now, some people in, in their commentaries, they just, which is fine, they just act like Jude is praying. I don't think Jude is praying right there. He has already mentioned the faith, and he told you to, for example, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, and this is the things that you are doing. These were imperatives. You're going to be doing those things. And so now, to rest assured, you're doing these things, but relax. God is able. This is all about God is going to do these things. This is what God is going to do. These are statements of facts. 
I don't, again, you decide. I don't think he's praying this prayer over the community. He's stating as he closed this letter on you, and you're facing the heretics. Some are being led astray. You're supposed to go off and rescue some. You're supposed to be building yourselves up. But relax. God is all-powerful. He's able to keep you from stumbling. You are going to be there. He is going to get this done. This is a statement of fact, and it ends with, so it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a doxology. It, it, and it ends with this word right here, amen, which is very unique to the letters. And I've got these things written down. Let's go through them. Um, number one, in the midst of the false teachers and the heretics, the beloved are not to retreat in fear, for self-preservation. I mean, one of my first reactions, there's heretics out there. It's like, oh no, let's retreat. This is, you're supposed to contend for the faith. You're supposed to go on a rescue mission. There, there's, a, there's a building's on fire. Let's get out. Wait, there's people here who need rescued. Well, now I'm getting out of the building because it's on fire. No, 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 listen, relax. God is able to protect you. God will keep you from standing. Get back in that building and start rescuing people. There's people that need help. Yeah, but I might be, cons- I, 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 God's got you, all right? Go in there. That would be a, a you know, paraphrase of way of saying it. Uh, point two, the doxology in these last two verses encourages the believer to trust the work and preservation of God who is able from eternity past, we'll talk about the time, it mentions three phases of time, eternity past, now, and eternity future. God is the ultimate the absolute, which comes right against all the heresies that, the, that the, the, the false teachers are presenting, God, in eternity past, before the ages began, had all authority, all glory, all power and dominion. Now today, in, and this, I'm going to say this several times today, in the midst of these heretics running wild, God has all authority, all power, and is in total control. And in the ages, and it's plural, the ages future, I mean, after the judgment, the heretics have all been swept away in judgment. God will be, it will continue to be, all-powerful, absolute authority. And so, before anything began, he's got all authority. Now, in the midst of this chaos, he's totally in charge. When everything is judged and settled, he'll still be in charge. And that's, that's, that's dated right before the amen. There's, a, there's a, uh, like a, an expiration date on this doxology, which is eternal. Relax. God's got it. Um, the letter ends with a doxality point three and not, not a prayer. Again, you can argue that if you'd want to. Uh, it's not a benediction. And interestingly, when you compare it to like other letters, it is not the typical common closing of a Hellenistic letter, which included a secondary greeting, you know, like say hi to my friends there in, you know, Corinth or whatever. Uh, a wish for health. You can see often they end with, you know, you know may you be in good health and, and, uh, a farewell wish, sometimes a date and a closing formula, you know, like sincerely, then a, a postscript, you know, Paul, the apostle or whatever. Uh, Hellenistic and Aramaic letters did not include a doxology, so this is not normal, the way this letter ends, which I'm going to explain to you possibly why. And we see a doxology happening in Romans 16, 2 Peter, then 1 Clement and the martyr of uh, Polycarp. They have a similar doxology. And the reason for this, I think, is point four. Letters like this from the apostles, and you can see this is being written to the church to encourage the church, they had received the letter, and it would be read to the church. And so as they're closing this down, and they're reading this doxology, the people are listening, and then this statement right here, amen, would be read by the reader in in public 
you know, forever and ever, amen. And the people would have heard it, they would say, amen also. It's, it's almost written, prepared for public reading. Uh, and that's what we see in Colossians 4.16. Paul writes, when he writes to the Colossians, he says, when this letter has been read among you, now notice, it's not like the pastor taking it back to his office, which probably didn't exist, and reading this letter going, hmm, how should I work this into my homily? It's, they would read Paul's letter to the group. That they'd gather for worship. Uh, in their worship service, they'd read Old Testament scriptures, and they would read, not from the New Testament, because it doesn't exist yet, they would read something from the faith, the apostolic letter. Now, and then, well, let's read this. When, the, when this letter has been read among you, the letter of Colossians to the Colossians, have it also read in the church of Laodicea, which means right there. He, he, he's not saying take this letter and mail it up there. He is, except they're not going to just let the letter go. They're going to do what with it? They're going to make a copy because this is something that they're reading in the church. This is the direction. They're going to keep a copy and send it up and however other many churches are going to get it. And then he says, and this is interesting, have it also read in the church of Laodicea and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So they would be exchanging letters. Now, we don't have that letter. Of course, it'd be interesting if we did. Um, but that is what this letter is right here. It's something that's going to be read. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.27, watch this. He says, I put you under oath before the Lord. Something serious. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. You don't get to just read the letter that I wrote and go, hmm, I agree with this. No, this, and cross this off. No, we're going to change that. Okay, Paul's right here. And start, you know, adjusting it. You, you have, I command, I put you under oath before God. You take this letter and you read it to the brother. Everyone gets to hear this letter. You don't get to filter through it, which is very interesting. So I think this letter, Jude, is, is already set up to be read to the people. And this doxology is their last statement of, of, of confidence. God has it. And they all say, amen, or so be it. Um, that's point five, basically. Point six is other doxologies. I'll read them to you very quickly. Romans 16, 25, it ends this way. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Ephesians 3 in the middle of the book has a doxology. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And those are Paul's writings. Uh, and here again, that the bottom of page one is basically the situation that we see in the whole book. Verse four, the letter is, is a convincing argument uh, to the previous, uh, excuse me, a convincing argument against the heretics and their teaching to persuade people to hold to the gospel. Verses five through 16 is a warning of the judgment that is going to come uh, using examples of the Old Testament. And likewise, these that were predicted to come are going to face the same judgment. Verses 3 and verses 22 through 23, we've looked at them. That's where you contend for the faith, build yourselves up, and continue on a rescue mission. And then we come to the last, three ver or last two verses, the doxology. So I'm going to read them now on page 2 at the top, and then on page 3 in the middle. This is the English Standard translation and underneath there you've got your greek box we can see the word for word literal translation so here's the doxology in the english standard version now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy to the only god 
our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, when? Before all time, now, and forever. And that's kind of nice the way it's written there in the, in the English Standard. But if you look down in the, uh, where it's in, the, in the transliteration of the Greek, instead of saying just before all time and now and forever, it would say uh, before all time and now and to all the ages, amen. And you can see both time and ages is the same word, aeon. So we'll come back and look at that in a moment. Okay. So here's the doxology. Look on page two, the first point. You've got these phrases, now to him who is able uh, to keep you. And the word to keep, you can see there in the Greek, it means to guard or protect. So to him who is able to guard you, protect you, to keep you. Now, if you go up to verse uh, uh, 21, I believe it's 20, it's in the notes there. Uh, verse 21, the word keep was translated also, keep yourselves in the love of God. And that's the command for you to keep yourself in the love of God. And that would be in your obeying of Christ, obeying his commands. You keep yourself, you abide in Christ. That's our job. Now, this is th th these verses have nothing to do with you. Do this is almost like a guarantee. This is saying that this is not a prayer. I hope God does this. This is not a command. Make sure you do this. This is identifying your God and his relationship with the church, and he is able to guard you. He is able to keep you. It's a different word, very similar, but it's a different word. And again, some commentators try to make a distinction between it, but in the end, it all kind of means the same. It's almost like a synonym. But it's interesting, it's a different word. If, it, if it's meaning the exact same thing, you'd think he'd use the same word. Uh, this is like shepherds guarding their sheep, Luke 2, verse 8. Now, don't miss it. That's your Christmas verse right there. As the shepherds were watching their sheep by night, I'm stumbling even through the Christmas story. But they were, they were keeping their sheep. So the shepherds were watching their sheep. That's the word keeping, guarding their sheep. By night. That's when the angels came. And uh, that is what God is doing. He's, he's able to keep you. Uh, or someone watching property. In Luke chapter 11, that's someone protecting property. So God is keeping you like a shepherd keeps the sheep he's guarding you like someone guards their property and it's like what does property have to do to keep itself it's like it, it's 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 god's property it's god's object it's his effort he's just not going to let you get away and this is them tell he's able to keep relax the heretics are not going to get you god is going to keep you um in jude 24 uh guard protect okay God is doing what only God can do to keep the beloved from stumbling. And that's the next point, too. Who is able to keep you from stumbling. And there you can see the Greek word, the A-P-T-A-I-S. Uh, the patio, right there. Here it is. And it will come up again. Patio uh, is the word it means to stumble, to sin, to make a mistake. But when you put the elf in front of it, the ah, that is like, that's like the no, the not. This means no stumbling. So this means to stumble, but he is going to, he's able to keep you from, not, you will not stumble. And again, that refers to, you know, making a mistake. I mean, you're doing the best you can. You're living your life. And the thing is, you, you, and you may experience it sometimes. It's like your life is happening so fast or you, you keep going. Things. Maybe life is going good, but you know that tomorrow's going to bring another event. It's like, oh man, I just want, just want to just quit. It's like, no, no. 
you're, you're, you're not going to stumble. I mean, we know we make mistakes. We know we sin. But he is going to keep you from stumbling beyond reach. You've got to keep going. He doesn't want you to. The letter begins. In fact, that may be what these, this letter is about. Because Jude starts off by saying, you need to contend for the faith. I, instead of just withdrawing, it's like, I'm so confused. Get out there and start debating. Start defending. Start proclaiming the truth. And what, what happens if we get confused? He's able to keep you. Stay, keep yourself in God's love. He is going to keep you. He's going to guard you. He'll keep you from stumbling. Uh, the same word, point B, 2B, is used by these three guys. It means a sure-footed horse that does not stumble. It means snow falling at a steady pace. And it is used of a man uh, w- with no moral lapses. So in the Greek writings, it, it's you're, you're sure, he's able to keep you, keep you sure-footed. He's able to keep you steady like falling snow. You're just not going to miss a beat. Or you're going to be like a man who has a very clear moral compass that is not failing. He is able to keep you in that condition. Again, this is the end of the letter. This is the doxology. This is not a prayer. This is not a goal. This is your God is doing this for you. In the background, behind all, the one from eternity past is doing this for the readers. And they are the beloved. They are in Christ. Uh, And blameless. There it is again. The word is momos which means to, uh, able to guard you and keep you. And this is blameless. Oh, boy, blameless. I'm thinking of this word right here. Uh, mamos, is that close? I did it, okay. Uh, the mamos means blemish, disgrace, uh, blame. So, ah, uh, once again, means no no blame no blemish he's able to keep you blameless now when is this blameless uh and verse four to present means to make stand or to stand he's able to present you and then that, that next part is in in god's presence so this is talking about he's not saying you are blameless. He's not saying that you are, there's no sin. You're never going to sin. First John says, he who says he has no sin is a liar. And that comes right out of the false teacher's teaching. If we want to, this is where we're heading into this on Monday nights, is you had, in many of these cases, you had two groups of people. You had the animal man, which was basically just, you know, the corrupt spirit of man, soul of man. And then you had the spiritual man who was above the natural flesh. And so inside the man was this spirit being that was pure. And then over here, you had some people that were in their body. They just had this animal spirit. Uh, These people, because they were pure spirit, even though they were living in a body, were pure. They could not sin. Even if they treated their body immorally, how can you damage a pure spirit? I mean, the flesh is just the flesh. So they're over here in immorality. But if you look inside... They have a pure spirit. Whoa, am I this guy? I think so. All right, I like that. I, it's like, that, that, that is a heretical way of teaching blameless and pure. Now, these people would break into two groups. Some of them were hopeless, but some of them, if you could train this animal and start behaving under some kind of legal law, there's hope for you too. But there's also some of you that just, there's no hope. You're just you're pure animal instinct. Some you could train. But us, we're pure spirit. It really doesn't matter what we do. So don't use me as an example. 
And so with that right here, that's completely different than this blameless. Because that's why, you say, why would John write in 1 John, he who says he has no sin is a liar. He who says he has no sin is a liar. It's like, but I can't sin, I'm pure. No, no, you are a fallen creature, you're going to sin. So when you do sin, you confess your sins, recover. This blamelessness is your position, and it's going to be your final position. You are, you're justified in Christ, but when he, you are presented to God in the end, you're going to be presented in eternity in the presence of God as blameless. Or if we want to go up here, I don't want to even point up here anymore, but you will be sinless. You'll be glorified. Why? Because right here of Jesus. You are in Christ. Now, right now we are in Christ, but we're living in time with this fleshly body. So we continue to resist sin. We, we experience temptation. We experience ideas of, of false teaching. It's like, well, is that a good idea? You know, you're adjusting all the time. So there is sin in our lives now, but in the end, as we continue to live our because this would be, if there's sin in my life and I want to be blameless, this would cause you to possibly... I'm just going to retreat. Just like I'm going to retreat from the heretics, I'm going to retreat from the world. I'm going to go join a monastery, lock myself in a room, and just be blameless. Oh, no, no, that's what this whole doxology is about. No, no, don't worry about the finish line. He's going to get you across the finish line. I need you running into the burning building. I need you confronting the heretics. I need you saving people from the heretics. You can't just retreat. Yeah, but it's dangerous in there. Okay, I got you, all right? I'm sending you on a mission. Paul could say, well, he gets knocked off a horse. He meets Jesus Christ and just retreats into the desert. It's like, I'm done here. I, I made a big mistake. I was killing Christians. I, I'm just going to quit. Well, no, God called him, and he is going to be blameless. Well, let's read it here again looking in the notes, at the bottom of page two, to present you or to make you stand. He'll be able to make you stand where? Well, in time, the word point A, the word is used to refer to set up, to establish, to appoint, to stand firm. On page three, it is used in Ephesians, talking about time right now. The word pops up several times. I think I've got it underlined four times there. Ephesians 6, 11, 13, and 14, and you know the verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See right there? That's right now the schemes of the devil, the deception of the devil. Oh, let's retreat. No, no, no. Put on the armor of God and get into battle. Take your stand. You're going, you're going to be established. You're going to take a stand against the schemes of the devil. And then it goes on later on in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand Meaning there you're, you're being attacked, you're being pushed back on the day of evil, and, or the evil day. That would be in time, as you're rushing into the evil fire, but you're going to be able to stand, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, that's the word of God, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that's your position in Christ, and then, of course, the fruit that comes from it. And it goes on and describes the fruit of the Spirit. But there are four times the word stand, and that's talking about you're taking a stand here in time. So you can stand against the devil's scheme here in time because you've got the armor of God. Romans 11.20 says, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. We're standing today by faith because we continue in the truth. We continue to have faith in Christ. We're standing and able to engage. He's talking about Israel in the future. So do not become proud, but fear that you're standing because of where you're at. So that is talking about in time, 
But in this verse right here, going back up here to page two at the top, now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling, from sinning, having moral lapses, and to present you, that means to stand you, you're going to be established, you're going to stand, and you're going to be blameless. That word blameless is a sacrificial term. Like, it means spotless. It means right now, if, if we were supposed to examine ourselves because we're continually being confronted with sin. We're, we're to, when we sin, we're supposed to daily confess our sins, examine ourselves. But there's a day coming where we're going to be presented, we're going to be standing blameless, spotless, like, like a pure sacrifice that's worthy of being in God's presence. We will be blameless, right here, before the presence of His glory and with great joy. So right now, today, we're struggling with sin. We are in situations where we've got to rush into this fire. We've got to face heretics. We've got to face the schemes of the devil. We've got the own sin nature in here. That take your stand in the truth. God is able to keep you standing here in this battle. But in the end, when you're done with the battle, when you're done with this battle, the devil, the world, your own sin nature, you're going to be presented blameless. Not because you accomplished it, not because I, 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 I learned all the Bible, I, I rushed into the fire, I saved all these people. Now you're doing all of that while being deceived by the devil, by, by being challenged by false doctrine, by overcoming your own sin nature, you're, you're battling here. But then you're gonna, you come home, you, you know, some days you come home, you're just like, what a day, I've just, I just been beat up. I, I, what's wrong? It's like, relax, there's a day coming where you're gonna be presented before God blameless. You will be able to stand You'll be established, blameless, and where? In the presence of his glory. And we're, gonna, we're heading toward the glory here. But in the presence of God Almighty, who's from eternity past, before everything was created, that glory was there. It's throughout time. And now you're standing face to face with that glory. It's kind of like, oh, oh. It's like, blameless. It's like, wow. And it's like, I did this great work in my life. I purified myself. Uh, no, God has taken you and made you blameless through Jesus Christ. You've been justified through Christ. You've now been glorified in Christ, and you'll be blameless. And, and look at the reaction right here. This is, this is kind of a nice way of ending this. And presents you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, that great joy could be God, but I think that great joy is, is you and me. It's like we're struggling here. We see all these things. We're, we're, we're tempted. We got the devil. We got faults. Life is just tough. But the day is coming where we'll be standing there when we see where we're at and that we're blameless, that he's welcoming us. It's like, it's not like, oh, okay, good, okay. It'll be like great joy. It'll be like Yahoo, like party. I mean, the, like, just like so much. Uh, uh, sorry to say excitement. I'm trying to think of a word. How about we say great joy? <laughs> and, so, and so the point five on page three the beloved will be presented in the future in the presence of the glory of God with exaltation or great joy. This concept is found these places also. I'll read other verses for you very quickly. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. And notice once again, that's an eschatological event. I mean, right now we are justified. We're in Christ, but we're in the battle. The day is coming where we will be established, there again, the word establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, when? At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Once again, 
before the foundation of the world, in the ages past, he's already got the job done. Ephesians 5, 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now notice there in Ephesians 5, 7, it's not you individually. I've been aiming this as an individual, and it is. You're an individual, but you are also a member of this group called the church, and the church itself will present it blameless. I will be there. You'll be there, but we, the church, will be there in this blameless state. So it won't be just like, hey, look what happened to me. It'll be like, look what happened to all of us humans have been conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, glorified and blameless. That's Ephesians 5, 27. Colossians 1, 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So that's what's happening on the cross. Reconciling us in his body of flesh. Again, the word flesh is important because he wasn't, that's go back into the, the heretics some say that i mean they actually say this in the early church they actually teach it it's probably around today in some form and it's what we'll, we'll investigate that jesus wasn't really human he was just a spiritual manifestation that looked human and that he he never really touched human flesh flesh is evil and jesus would never become flesh so he just appeared to be flesh and this one says he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death We've been reconciled in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, Colossians is not Jude, but you can hear right there the same promise. But Paul and Colossians ties it in because the Colossians are being, we could go through, we have, but we go through Colossians. There's a lot of false teaching in Colossae, a lot of the spiritual higher powers of spiritual things, a lot of false garbage, that they started with the faith, they started with the faith, and Paul is saying, he's able to present you pure, blameless before him, but you're going to have to continue in this faith. If you spin out of this and come down to some heresy, and you start trusting in some heresy, which is... I mean, we could, go, we could go through a whole variety. It's like, uh, yeah, you're not going to be established. You're going, you're going to, now here comes the question, were you saved, you lost your salvation, whatever. But Paul is saying, if you continue in this faith, Jude is saying, you are going to continue, and you're going to remain here. And there's, there's not that question in this doxology. He's writing more in the sense of, you're there. But that's Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Now, our final verse of the book of Jude. Jude 25. Now, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. So here we write these words over here. Glory, we're going to come back to them here in a minute. Glory, um, majesty, I should keep my notes here so I can write them down and spell them correctly. Uh, glory, majesty. Again, don't, don't think synonyms here. Don't, just th don't think churchy liturgy. He's not just writing down, oh, this would sound good together. That kind of rhymes with this. He's writing down concepts here. Dominion. And now dominion sounds a lot like this next one, authority, but it's different. Did I spell dominion right? D-O-M-I-N? No, 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 no. Thank you. I know you're staring at it. Dominion. It's like, those are the four words right there that it says, uh, through Jesus Christ the Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. But now, let's go back to the beginning. To the only God, and this is a huge statement, only God, which is typical, there's only one God, there's many false gods, but this only God also includes 
the unity of God. We're going to get into the unity of God from this verse, and it's going to come up in our, our discussion on heresies. There's only one God, and this one God is a unit. A unity, I mean, you've got three persons in one. You're going to have the Trinity within that also. So there's one God. Now, right here, our Savior. This one God, only God, is our Savior. Now, who's your Savior? Jesus is my Savior, right? But this is saying God is your Savior. So now, how is God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior? Well, God the Father sent Jesus, so God the Father is our Savior through Jesus, who is also God, but he is the one who does the work of salvation. God is the one, in a sense, planned it. Jesus is the one who does it. They're both God, but it's, we'll look at several verses here. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. And notice right there's the difference. Through the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. It's like, well, I thought Jesus was God. Well, no, in this verse, there's only one God, and he's our Savior through Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds like you've got, right, and you see how the early church is struggling with it. Now, for me, in, in my little world of, of theology, and I've got you know, systematic theology books, and I want to stay orthodox, I, wanna, I don't want to become a false teacher or be called a false teacher, I'm going to just jump right in and say, Trinity, okay, and I, I avoid it. But imagine being a, a 55 AD, 55 AD, uh, 25 years after the resurrection, and you get this book, and now you're supposed to explain it. And someone in your congregation ask a question. There's only one God, he's our Savior, and he saved us through Jesus. So Jesus must be the man that Jesus, God chose David to save Israel. God chose the man Jesus to save us. And that's why finally John comes out in, in the Gospel of John and 1 John. It's like, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And it, it ties it, Jesus is up here. This is Jesus who became a man. It's like, and you can see, you can see the argument. You see someone say, you're just making stuff up. Because it's not that easy. Even like I say, we go around, you, everybody draw a diagram of the Trinity and give me a five-minute explanation. It's like, we just go down, heretic, 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 heretic. It's like, because you're going to be saying things, it's like uh, the three, uh, all kinds of stuff. Because like, I feel like a heretic so when, I, when I even talk about the Trinity. It's like you're trying to put it in human words. Nonetheless, we're holding on to this verse. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus is our Lord. God is our Savior. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time. So God is getting all of these things right here. Now this through Jesus, says through Jesus, is one of two things. I'm going to go through the notes here. But through Jesus, God is getting one of two things. He's, God is our Savior through Jesus, meaning God the Father created the universe God the Father had the plan. God the Father is going to save man, and he's going to do it through Jesus. So God is, this whole thing's working, and this salvation comes through Jesus. It's also possible that God is our Savior, and through Jesus Christ, we recognize these things and give this glory, majesty, dominion, and authority to God. Through Jesus Christ, God receives these things through Jesus. The problem's going to come in that time formula that's coming up eternity past now and in eternity future is that the jesus would be giving him these things before jesus had been born you know before the whole system had worked so 
God's plan was salvation. How did he work that plan of salvation? God our Savior came through Jesus to do the salvation he wanted to do. So salvation comes through Jesus, and now we give him this glory and praise because that was his plan from the beginning. So understand, Jesus Christ is either the Savior or Jesus Christ is the one that's through him we give these, these honor and glory to. Okay, let's go through the notes. There's one God, point one, there's one God here in reference is to the only God. God is one, or the doctrine of the unity of God. God created the world. God sustains the world. God saves the world. This is huge. It, it's not huge for us because we just accept it. But when I, as I'm going through the early church heresies, these are all radical, radical points. Um, I've got, I think I've got a point. I'm going to come back to that. Let me see. Yes, go to point four. I'll just read this to you. And this is, like I said, because I'm studying this, I'm seeing things in the scriptures that lead into what we're talking about. Point, page four, point four. Coming up in our classes on deception and false doctrines, we'll see the early church struggle against the teaching of not the Gnostic systems, plural. There's, there's many. Try, it's like if every one of us here tried to explain this and we went outside the scripture and started explaining it, we'd have a variety of systems that would try to make sense of this whole thing. And I'm going to erase this. I shouldn't, although it's all scribbled on. And here it is. Here's the false teaching that is coming in the second century. And it's, it's, it's already starting to grow in Coloss Colossae. It's definitely in Ephesus when John's writing at the end of the century. Uh, Coming up in our classes on deception and false doctrine, we'll see that the early church struggled against the teaching of Gnostic systems that included the concept of the demiurge, right here. This is, again, what is a demiurge? It's like I've never even heard of that word. What verse is that in? The demiurge was these things. Are you ready? Now watch how, again, we can make fun of this. We can call it heresy. But if you were left on an island somewhere, and someone drops a Bible on you, now explain how this all fits together. You know, if we hadn't been in Sunday school, if I hadn't grown up in America when I did, uh, if I hadn't found some good Bible teaching, well, look, look at Christendom and see the stupidity they're putting out there. The things they, they're, they're willing to deny, starting with denying eternal damnation, denying that Jesus is a, a really a man. Deny, you're going to build all of Christianity, but deny the Bible's not written. That's, that's just written by man. Here's what Christianity really means. Well, right there you go. You're on a desert island creating Christianity. And so it's not like, well, imagine this. You're living in the same world Judah's writing to. You're living in that world. But here's what they came up with. And again, it's going to sound stupid here on Sunday morning in Bible class. But you go out there to a coffee shop, you know, in some, you know, wherever, and start talking about the God concept, you'll end up, you'll have someone sitting there and say, they'll say the exact same thing. Uh, the demiurge in Gnosticism is a heavenly being. So he is a heavenly being. We can even say spiritual being, the demiurge, Okay. So he's God. Oh, no, 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 no. He's a spiritual heavenly being. He's subordinate to the supreme being. There's a supreme being. And that we would say is God. But not the God you worship. He's just the supreme being. The demiurge is a spiritual being under the supreme being. 
Okay? So is this the Father and this the Son? You could try that way, but they're not going to get along. Uh, the creator and controller of the material world. This demiurge created the world, the physical world. Well, I thought the supreme God created it. No, he didn't want anything created. He was happy the way he was. But he had some spiritual beings he created, and one of them says, you know what? I want to make a physical world. So now you've got this supreme God who's overall, but yet this guy created the physical world that this guy can't control, and this is the world you live in. It's not like we're not writing fiction. This is you explaining salvation and explaining morality and explaining eternal life. And you're in church. This is not over there in some cult burning some kind of candles at an incense or something. This is you in someone's house explaining Christianity, causing divisions among the people. Because it's like, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, there's more. Uh, the demigod is antagonistic to all that is purely spiritual. So, somewhere in here is pure spirit. But the demiurge created a physical world that is not. Now, you find yourself in this created world, and you're not sure where you came from. Some of you came from this other spiritual being as a pure spirit in the demiurge created world, and you find yourself with some people over here. We'll put like question marks by these people. These people are products of the created world. Now, some of you are these. You're just a mere animal. You're created from this physical world. Say you've evolved out of monkeys. But I am pure spirit in this world lost, trapped in a body, so confused. But fortunately, I came to a home Bible study. And I found out that I am a pure spirit, that the issues of sin that I see you all doing, it's not an issue for me. Because I am pure spirit from this demiurge, or contrary to the demiurge, so I've got this God who created the world. I've got the supreme God who has no idea what's going on because everybody's sneaking around do, uh, behind him because he's not absolute. And then you've got this pure spirit that I came from somewhere else. So I'm trapped between, theoretically in Christianity, between God the Father, God the Son. I'm trapped here and I'm trying to escape. And it doesn't matter what I do in my body because I can't sin. Would you like to join my church? We're selling these positions today for a small price. And so it's like, okay, that, that, is, what we're, that is what we're dealing with at, at, at that level. And again, you can't go and Google something. You can't go to your local pastor. You can't go to seminary. You can't take a theology book off the shelf or a, a six-volume set of theology and compare what everybody's talked about for the last 2,000 years, and they flushed all this out. Uh, you're 25 years away from Christ's resurrection. Try to explain Jesus came back from the dead and he paid for the sins of the world. Who, who, how, how could he do that? Uh, well, God raised him from the dead. Well, why did he die? For your sins. And it just, it's like, is he God? Who's God? The, and the Holy Spirit comes. It's like, who's the Holy Spirit? Okay. Going back to this. We're going to make it, folks. We're going to make it. Bottom of page three. We, we said right there, to the only God, and Jude, for, for these verses, Jude just lays it all down, the faith once forgiven to you, uh, entrusted to you. This is it right here. Don't look at other things. Look at what Jude is saying. 
to the only God. There's only one. There's not a demiurge. There's not other gods playing with the universe, creating stuff that God can't control. There's only one God, and he's your Savior. He had a plan of salvation, and he did that salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did the work of salvation that God the Father wanted to do. There's only one God, and we're, gonna, and we're calling Jesus Christ Lord. Jesus is God also in all these verses. Um, point three at the bottom of page three, Savior is God, is God, and he saves through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 45, 14, there you see right there, O God of Israel, the Savior. First Timothy 1, 1, I'm reading this verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. God our Savior, which would be God the Father, and Jesus Christ have commanded him to preach. So even there, Paul's recognizing God as the Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So right in these verses, you can see, part of the time, God, uh, Jesus Christ is God, but here, clearly, he's man. So the answer to that, if you're, if you're wondering, Jesus Christ is God eternally, and God became a man. Man in Christ did not become God. You understand what I'm saying there? Meaning, there wasn't a man who God elevated to the position of God. God, from eternity past, became a man. There's a time in history where God was not a man. He made man. He watched man. He communicated with man. Here's your Christmas story. There's a time when God joined the human race and became a man. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Who did he give him to? He gave him to the human race. And upon his death, he ceased being a man and went back to heaven like a butterfly flying away from his body. No. Once Jesus is born in a manger, once you're a man, you're a man forever. Human. Once we're human. It's not like, well, I'm a man today, but someday I'm going to be just a free spirit. No, I'm human forever. You can't change who you are. Contrary to a lot of popular ideas of changing from the pure, ha, here, there it is right here. The pure spirit inside the real me is struggling with this outside world and the pure me wants to express my purity and i'm trapped in this body sound familiar that's that's not that's narcissism that's a form of narcissism i i cannot sin i just need to express my purity it's like no you're created a unit a a human a man and God, Jesus, God, became a man in the Christmas story. When he died on the cross, he was resurrected a man. When he ascended into heaven, he ascended as a resurrected human. And right here, 1 Timothy says, or, yeah, 1 Timothy 2, for there is one God, a unit, there is one mediator between God and man. Who is that mediator today? Or in, in 1 Timothy, let's say 62 A.D the man christ jesus who is seated at the right hand of god the man christ jesus so he's a man yes yeah, so he's not god no he's god he he never stopped being god i mean he's god he's eternally he can't stop being god so he's god who became a man but once he became a man he can't stop being a man so for god so loved the world he gave his only son to the world he joined us he's not saving cockroaches he's not saving horses he's not saving angels hebrews for surely it's not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. God became not a horse. 
God did not become an angel, although you have the angel of the Lord appearing in the form of an angel. You have God becoming born into the human race, a man. I mean, remember, we're, we got the Christmas story rocking right here. Born as a man, and he's ascended to heaven as a man. And guess what? Our hope is the day that that man returns physically to the earth. He's, okay. Okay, there's those verses. Uh, I'm turning the page four. Um, point five. There's some other verses uh, at the top. Titus 1, 3 through 4. Through the, preaching, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So there's Paul writing to me. Get two more verses. Uh, verse five, point five. Through Christ Jesus in the Greek may refer to God's salvation comes through Christ Jesus or God is given glory through Christ Jesus. I referred to that already. Uh, most likely it refers to the first one that our salvation comes through Christ Jesus, although our, the glory to go to God, but that messes with the time issue. Amen, I want to point that out. We've already looked at it already briefly, but amen means truly or paraphrase as being the words, so be it. And that is the way this book ends, is amen, so be it. A declaration of statements of faith. Amen, the reader would say. And we would assume the congregation would respond by saying, amen, so be it. We agree with those last, well, the whole book, but those last two verses of doxology. Um, the four words for the attributes of God that I had written here, glory uh, is doxa, doxa. It means splendor or glory. Now, again, uh, we should probably look at... Uh, yeah, point nine on page five. The time frame for God to possess and receive these four words. And this is, for me, this is, this is exciting. Uh, it, it solidifies, it, it stabilizes us in God. It, it, it stabilizes our faith in Christ. Uh, these four words that are written here uh, that had glory, majesty, power, and authority, they are God's. They belong to God. And the time frame, the time stamp on this, the expiration date, before all time and now and forevermore. So the before all time is propontos to ionis, which means before all the ages or before, so before all the ages. I mean, so forget Genesis 1-1, before 1-1, before that, more like John 1-1. In the beginning, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of our story. In ages past, there was God. What was going on at that time? God, before creation, before Genesis 1-1 began, uh, God had glory, majesty, power, and authority. That, that, that was, now, God creates the world and doesn't sacrifice His glory, His majesty, His power. He maintains, He creates it, and then sustains it while he maintains glory, majesty, power, and authority. And here's the heretics. Oh, the heretics. Oh, they're attacking. They're attacking. Relax. Before creation, God had glory, majesty, power, and authority. He still got glory, majesty, power, and authority. And the heretics are like little puppies. But it's like, just keep preaching the truth. They'll fade away like shadows in the light, the truth will drive them away. And when they're all swept away and judged, and we go on to the next age, uh, that's the next point. I'll go back to page 5.9. Before all time, pro pontos tos ionas, before all time, before all ages, now is the word none, means now. <laughs> the present, 
and forever is ace pontos tos ionas, which means to all the ages. So from eternity past before creation began, God had the power, the glory, the authority, the dominion. He created it and is comfortably maintaining power and dominion even during this age. And when he's done judging and establishing all that history has produced, he'll continue forever in the in plural ages to come in the same position. And that's where it says, amen, so be it. It's like, so embrace the truth, feel secure, keep yourself in God's love, build yourself up on your faith, but God is able to make you stand today, but also blameless in the presence of God. When you meet that glory that's been there forever, the, the authority that's been there for all time, and you stand in front of it one day with great joy, you're gonna realize, I'm spotless, I'm blameless. It's like, look what I've accomplished. No, 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 no. Look what God the Savior accomplished through Jesus Christ. Yeah, we need, to be, we need to embrace the truth. We need to grow in the truth. We need to walk in the truth. We need to rescue others from the fire. But the work that's being done will be fulfilled because of Christ and in Christ. And someday you're going to experience, and you haven't experienced it yet. You haven't experienced that blamelessness. I mean, we, we think about it. We have moments of happiness. Uh, we have moments that we feel like complete. Uh, but there's a day coming where all of a sudden it's like sin has been removed. The, the failure of the flesh has been removed. The curse of death has been removed. And you're staying blank. It's like, and that's what it says, exceedingly great joy. It's like, oh my gosh. And that's where the church says, amen. I will pray and we're done. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would find strength and encouragement, that we'd help uh, identify the truth, that we would purify our own doctrine, that we would not continue or hear or accept false truths, but would, again, be drawn into the truth that was once for all entrusted to the church. We do thank you for this and ask that your spirit would continue to lead and guide us. And we thank you for the ability that you've given to us to hear and understand the truth, but also the promise that you will establish us uh, and give us the ability to stand before you someday in eternity in, in great joy. We do thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.